One of the most memorable books I've read in the last few years is a book called The Wisdom of Finance by Harvard Law School professor Mahir Desai. Now, I have no background in finance or economics, but I was drawn to the book by an interview I heard with Desai in which Desai explained that the basic premise of his book was that concepts of high finance could be well explained through examples from literature and film and art. Or as Desai himself puts it in the book's introduction, and I quote, this book is about how the humanities can illuminate the central ideas of finance. Well, here's why I bring up Mahir Desai in his book this morning. I bring them up because in the same way that the humanities can illuminate the central ideas of finance, so too can the central ideas of finance illuminate the deeper truths of our humanity. And here's what I mean by that. Even though, say, investment and giving, even though these are financial concepts, there is far more that we invest and give as human beings than simply our money, right? And therefore, stories about financial giving, stories about giving deeply of one's financial resources and about what a sacrifice that is, such stories can also therefore be extended to capture the sacrifice of other forms of human giving as well. And that leads me to today's gospel lesson from Mark chapter 12. Here in this passage, Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem, and he watches as several people of means come forward and put large financial gifts into the offering plate. Then, while he sits watching, he suddenly sees a poor widow come forward. And she, for her part, puts two small copper coins, together worth but a penny. She, for her part, puts this into the offering plate. At which point, according to Mark, Jesus calls his disciples together and explains to them that, quote, This poor widow has put in more than all of those who have contributed to the treasury. For she has given, quote, out of her poverty, he explains, while others have given out of their abundance. And that's the end of the story. Now there is no doubt that this is a story about finance. In other words, it is a story about money. It's a story about investment, and giving of money. Here, several 
Wealthy people give money out of their abundance, and meanwhile, this poor widow gives money out of her poverty. And Jesus' point here in this story about money is that while the wealthy individuals have technically given more in a quantitative sense, that this poor widow has given more in a qualitative sense. For the simple and obvious reason that she had so much less to give in the first place. We all understand that that is the point of this story. And again, let me belabor it. It is a story decidedly about money. No one's saying it isn't. But that said, turning Mahir Desai's book's premise on its head... What I want us to see in this passage today is how this same principle applies to far more than just money. I want us to see how this same financial principle is true of other forms of human giving and investment. I want us to see how gifts of kindness and gentleness and other such gifts ought to be judged not only quantitatively, but also qualitatively. And ultimately then, I want us to see how the kingdom of God is enlarged not only by the largest and most apparent demonstrations of the fruits of the Spirit, but also by the small copper coins of kindness and gentleness and the like which are given out of someone's spiritual poverty. Which leads me to another book that has stuck with me through the years. Elizabeth Strout's Pulitzer Prize winning novel, Olive Kitteridge. The novel centers around the title character, Olive Kitteridge, who by nature is a cold person, or as the reviewer for the San Francisco Chronicle describes her, quote, an astringent person. She doesn't intend to be that way. She just is. Warmth and amiability do not come naturally to her. Gentleness and peacefulness are not her given temperaments. What's more, her life has been difficult. Even though very few people know the quiet tragedies and traumas that she has had to live through. And thus, people think of her as mean, as bitter, as hateful, as cold. Again, as astringent. And so when it comes to spiritual giftings like, say, kindness and gentleness, well, all of Kittredge is by nature virtually destitute. She didn't ask to be, she just is. This, unlike her husband Henry, who is by nature affable and amiable, a man for whom life comes easily, and who in terms of natural giftings has kindness and gentleness in abundance. 
Well, the great joy of reading Olive Kitteridge is getting to see behind the cold exterior of and into the human heart of Olive. Watching Olive quietly and unassumingly share a small act of kindness that was hard for her to do. Watching Olive share a small act of generosity, perform a small act of forgiveness, and then watching how those small acts enlarge others, and watching how they slowly but surely enlarge Olive herself. Again, it's called Olive Kitteridge. It's a great book. I highly encourage you to buy it and read it. But here's the point I'm trying to make with all of it. When Henry, Olive's husband, demonstrates kindness and gentleness in the book, which he almost always does, it is not nearly the gift, it is not nearly the sacrifice, that is, that it is when Olive demonstrates kindness and gentleness. Even if her demonstrations are, from a quantitative perspective, far smaller and more modest than are Henry's. In other words, in these small, simple acts, Olive gives out of her poverty. And from a qualitative standpoint, she is actually giving more than Henry who gets celebrated for his kindness and gentleness. She's actually giving more than Henry. Because for him, such gifts come naturally and easily. And he doesn't even have to think about it at all. Now please don't misunderstand. It's not that Henry's gifts are to be diminished. Obviously not. They're to be celebrated. Instead, the point is that Olive's gifts, and people like Olive, Olive's gifts are to be more greatly appreciated than they currently are. She gave out of her poverty. This is what Jesus says, describing the widow and her gift of small copper coins. And as I've just explained, in Olive Kitteridge, Olive gives out of her own sort of poverty. But the point that I am trying to make with this sermon is to remind us that as Plato writes, we are all born, quote, children of poverty. Meaning we all lack completeness. We are all broken. All missing something. All poverty-stricken in some way. For the widow in Mark chapter 12, it's financial poverty. For Olive Kitteridge, it's a poverty of warmth. For others, it's a poverty of gentleness or patience. For others, it's a poverty of self-control. The list goes on, endlessly seemingly. And the point to be made is that when we see one giving out of his or her poverty, 
we do well to recognize such an act for the meaningful gift that it is rather than diminish its significance because comparatively speaking it doesn't quite match up to the abundant standard that we hope for. And lest it remain unclear what I mean by all of this, let me make this as concrete as possible. That person who so irritates us because they're always so cold and unfriendly, it just may be that their act of lingering momentarily to hold the door for us was actually a larger sacrifice, all things being equal, than our cheerful, how are you this morning? Or that person who has proven so many times that he or she cannot be counted on, it could be that their showing up this last time was actually, all things being equal, a bigger sacrifice than our track record of showing up just about every time. Or that person whose impulsiveness and whose brashness we find so maddening, it just may be that their act of biting their tongue in that one particular instance just may be that that was all things being equal, a greater sacrifice than our near constant practice of keeping the peace. In other words, we all hold some gifts in abundance. And we are all born children of poverty when it comes to others. And therefore, we do well to judge one another, not by our own standard, but by the standard of the kingdom of God, which according to Jesus grows slowly and steadily, Constantly, yet inconspicuously, always contrarily to our own expectations, always, quote, we know not how. And this means that in the same way that the angels in heaven rejoice more over one sinner saved than over 99 righteous not in need of saving, it means that so too ought we, as we strive to make it more on earth as it is in heaven, it means that so too ought we to rejoice at least as much as one Olive Kitteridge who gives a gift of kindness out of her poverty as we do over Henry Kitteridge who gives a gift of kindness out of his abundance. Again, the gifts that come out of abundance are to be greatly celebrated. Of course they are, no question about it. They're what make the world go round. But the point of the sermon is that so too are the gifts that come out of poverty to be celebrated as well. For they grow we know not how. This, dear family, is what it means to be kingdom people. 
To be people who represent the coming kingdom of God. To be people who are watching for and who are oriented by the fruits of the Spirit. It means that we increasingly become a people who celebrate demonstrations of God's fruits wherever we might see them. And however large or small they might happen to be when we do see them. And it means that we remain patient with and loving toward those whose demonstration of these fruits does not yield the abundance we might hope for. Just as we pray that others will be patient with and loving toward us. If we are not yet yielding the fruits they may hope for from us. In short, it means that we become increasingly a people of grace. Understanding that by the measure with which we judge, so too shall we ourselves be measured. Olive's private view, Strout writes in Olive Kitteridge, is that life depends on what she thinks of as big bursts and little bursts. Strout then goes on to write, Big bursts for all of our things like marriage or children, intimacies that keep you afloat. But these big bursts hold dangerous unseen currents, which is why you need the little bursts as well. A friendly clerk at Bradley's, let's say. Or the waitress at Dunkin' Donuts who knows how you like your coffee. That's the end of the quote. Life depends, Strout writes, on big bursts and little bursts. Well, so too does the coming kingdom of God depend on big bursts. And little bursts. Big bursts like the resurrection of Christ and outpourings of his spirit so evident they are unmistakable? Yes, absolutely. But so too little bursts. Like a warm word from a seemingly cold person. Or a peaceful gesture from someone we've always considered to be harsh or abrasive. Gifts given out of abundance, yes. And also gifts given out of poverty. Hundred dollar bills, yes. But also small copper coins. As we spend the next seven weeks reflecting on the content and the values of God's coming kingdom... Let us not lose sight of the value small copper coins hold in the kingdom's content. Might we grow more patient with others and more mindful of their daily investments, remembering that gifts given out of poverty are in important ways just as important in the expansion of God's kingdom as gifts given from abundance 
And then might we remember that poverty and abundance need not exclusively be financial terms. Remembering that the central insights of finance can also illuminate the deeper truths of our humanity. Amen.